Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. It's so good to see you all. Um, Yeah, I'm so excited. This is a a part of Jesus' birth story that has just been on my heart and my mind for a couple of years now, and so I'm really excited to share my many, many thoughts and prayers for for how we're going to receive this today. But a fun fact about me before we start, I I know a lot of you, not all of you, Uh, 10 years ago I was getting a master's degree in children's literature, which means I got to take whole entire classes on topics like picture books and graphic novels and Harry Potter. I know there's some, I saw Christine's mouth just go open. I was looking specifically at you. Um, and it was, it was really fun. And I had a, an awesome professor that gave us some advice as graduate students. She said, be really careful about writing papers on the books that were your favorite books as a child. Like you have the most nostalgia and love for these books because when you write a paper, you tend to dissect the book and look at the author and the history and it can affect how you feel about the book. So she said, sort of be careful about that. And I immediately disregarded her warning. And um, if you'll put the picture up, Paul, I wrote uh, one of my first papers on this book. Anyone read this book? Yeah. So Harriet the Spy, it was written in the 1960s, but it was one of my most favorite books um, as a child. And I read it over and over again. And I can't even really tell you now why I like this book so much. If you've read it, it's about... um, this girl, Harriet, and she's really cranky and kind of mean and stubborn. And every day, her favorite thing to do after school is to put on that outfit. I don't think you can tell from the picture, but she's got like a utility belt, and it's her spy tools, her spy outfit. And she hides in her neighborhood and watches her neighbors and writes down what they do. So she's a spy in her neighborhood, um, which no one should do. Uh, But I loved this book. I loved this book, and I read it over and over again. So I thought, well, I'm going to write a paper on it. So when you write a paper, you read about the author, and I read about the author, Louise Fitzhugh. So again, the book was written in the 60s. Louise Fitzhugh, um, from what I read, had a lot of friends and a lot of relationships, but the people who were closest to her described her as being chronically lonely and that um, had a very full life, but there was always just sort of this, this theme of sadness in her life. So guess what happened the next time I read Harriet the Spy? I saw this theme of loneliness, right? It's about a child who hides in dark places and looks out at the world and writes down what she sees. The people she watches are lonely and sad. And it's still, I think, a masterpiece of a book. I think it's a beautiful book. But how I feel about it was changed, right, when I found out about the author and I was able to see this theme throughout. So when you read the Bible, you have to be aware that uh, the Bible has authors, right? It has a human author who wrote the words. And ultimately, God, who divinely inspired the words in the Bible. So when you study the Bible, you read the stories uh, to better understand who God is. It's kind of flipped. When you read a novel, you can read a biography about the author. But when you read the Bible, you read the Bible stories, even when God isn't physically present in the story, and better understand who he is and what he's doing in these people's lives. And in my experience, the deeper that you dive into a story— And the more um, that you kind of dig into those layers, the more intriguing and good and merciful and kind um, God shows himself to be. So today, I want to do a close reading of uh, one part of the Bible leading up to the birth of Jesus. 
And if you're here last week, uh, we had a guest teacher um, named Bill, and he did a really beautiful teaching on part of it today, on Mary and Elizabeth specifically. Um, so we're thinking about today as sort of a part two and a continuation of that really beautiful uh, teaching. So to find the part of Jesus' story that I want to look at today, we have to go to the book of Luke. So there are four books in the Bible written about Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels. Um, but Luke is the only one who includes this part of Jesus' birth story. So that's our first question of why. Why does Luke include what we're about to read today? Why did he think that this was uh, of significance? So um, Luke wrote this book to document the life of Jesus, and it's helpful to know that Luke is a doctor and that Luke likes details. There's a lot of details, and it's easy, if you've read this story before, to skip over the details um, but I think that they really reveal to us something about God's character and about his intentionality. So today I want to zoom in on these details. Uh, we're covering a lot of text, so we're going to kind of skip around, but I want to zoom in on parts of it. And my prayer for you all has been, like me, over the past couple of years, that you would see these little moments and pieces and better appreciate the goodness and intentionality of God. So um, I'm just going to pray for that over us before we dig in. Uh, God, you are so good. You are a kind father. You are a creative, thoughtful author of history and each of our own stories. Let us dwell in your goodness today, and I pray that your words would move us all to worship. Amen. So if you want to read along um, in your Bible or on your phone, we're starting at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and there are going to be verses up here too um, if you want to follow along up there. So Luke starts his book, not with the miraculous birth of Jesus, but with the miraculous pregnancy of Elizabeth. So first question, who is Elizabeth? She's Mary's cousin. Mary is the mother of Jesus. So the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, starts with Jesus' mother's cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah. So again, why? Why does it start with them? Why, why is this included in Jesus's story? And we're going to read about them. So the Bible tells us that Zachariah is a priest, and he's married to Elizabeth, and they're described with five things, which I underlined up there. They're described as righteous. They um, walk blamelessly in the commandments, which means they follow the laws that um, God set out for his people. Later, it says they're advanced in years, right? So they're older, and this implies past the point of being able to have a child, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. So anytime in a book and you see the word but, the phrase after it is significant. And I think but they had no child is a huge marker of Elizabeth and Zachariah's identity. So Bill mentioned this last week, but um, to be barren, especially for the woman, um, meant that it kind of implied that um, either God was withholding a blessing, which is not correct, or uh, that they had been abandoned by God, or that they were somehow less worthy of this blessing. Um, so being barren led to a lifetime of shame for Zachariah and Elizabeth, and it led to isolation, so loneliness, ostracism from their community. So they're older, as we read. So when we find them in this story, they've lived through decades of shame and isolation. So in verse 8, uh, we read that Zechariah enters the temple. And I think it's easy to read a, read a phrase like the priest enters a temple and think another work day 
right? But it's worth it to note that uh, today wasn't a normal work day for Zechariah. He was part of a large group of priests, and this was part of a rotation. So Zechariah was part of a group of priests. This was their turn to travel to the temple uh, for this duty of offering uh, incense at the altar inside the temple. And even though you traveled there and you came there for your rotation, it wasn't a guarantee that you would get to do it. They had to draw lots. So most priests got to do this once, maybe two or three times in their lifetime. So it was a really special day. But uh, Zechariah did not expect there to be an angel uh, at the altar when he comes in. So he was shocked. So the angel's name is Gabriel. And we, we read that Gabriel tells Zechariah, God has heard you and Elizabeth's prayers. And she is going to have a baby. And the baby is going to be named John. And Gabriel says this to Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And I think we have to read that in context, knowing where they have been in their life up to this point. They're living in shame and isolation. And there's a promise that they will be filled with joy and gladness and will be part of many rejoicing around the birth of their child. And the last thing that Gabriel says is that John, the baby, will be great. And then he goes on to describe how incredible and awesome this miracle baby is going to be. This baby John's job is to go before the Messiah, who everyone has been waiting for and knows is coming, and prepare the people for him. This is a baby that every priest would dream of having. He's an important baby. In verse 18, Zechariah questions uh, what Gabriel tells him because of his age. He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Essentially, he is asking for a sign or more evidence um, that this is true because they are too old to have children. Gabriel the angel is not impressed uh, with Zechariah's question. And he makes him mute, unable to speak. And some people think also deaf for nine months. Um, so this is sort of a nine-month-long timeout. Think about what you've done. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, something that I've thought about this before, I thought it was funny too. Um, something I thought about this before is, uh, is this harsh of God? He asked a question and he was struck silent. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think no matter what, it, we need to note that there is mercy here. That because Zechariah questioned the promise of God, God didn't say, now you don't get to be a father or now you'll never speak again. He will speak again. He's still going to have this baby. So there's mercy in this interaction. So at the end of this section, Luke writes, Elizabeth conceives, and for five months, remember Luke is a doctor and includes this for a reason, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach or shame among people. So think about Elizabeth and Zachariah here. For the first five months of her pregnancy, she's at home with a husband who can't speak, and she is hiding. And I want to ask, and I don't think there's right or wrong um, answers for this necessarily, but I'm curious, what's your thought on why is Elizabeth hiding away for five months? Any, any thoughts? Yeah. Fear. Fear that the pregnancy wasn't going to be Yeah. I see that in that, too. Yeah. Any other thoughts you've had? Yeah. And it would be so much worse if the whole community, mm -hmm. maybe they wouldn't believe her that she was pregnant. Yeah, I had that thought too. I'm like, will people believe me? I'm too old <laughs> um, to have a child. 
I also think there might be some shame in Zachariah's consequence that she's attached to that. You know, he entered into a temple and came out unable to speak. (laughs) That's not a good feeling. And I also think, you know, I also think there could be some awe and joy in this moment and just sort of uh, being amazed at this gift, like can't quite believe it. So I think all of those are are part of this. I think all of those could be true. So we're going to leave Zachariah and Elizabeth for a moment, and Luke moves the story at this point from them over to Mary. So if you're following along and you look at verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, where Mary lives. So the sixth month of what? Of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God inspired Luke, the doctor, to write the narrative of his son, Jesus, coming to earth in the timeline of Elizabeth's pregnancy. It is a story, first and foremost, of Jesus's birth, but it is also a story of births, plural. So again, we ask why and keep reading. Gabriel comes to Mary in Nazareth, where she lives. Um, So Mary is engaged, which means that she's still living at home with her family, living a normal life on the precipice of adulthood and marriage and all of the good, exciting things that that's going to bring into her life. So I'm going to put up, or Paul's going to put up, um, the slide, and I want us to compare how Gabriel tells Zachariah about baby John coming and how he tells Mary about baby Jesus coming. And we're going to look through it and notice some similarities and also a couple of differences that I think are interesting. So the first difference is that he doesn't offer a greeting uh, to Zachariah, but to Mary he does. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So I think the greetings and especially the O favored one can have a couple of, of meanings and significance here. First off, Mary is favored because she is blessed. She gets to be the mother of Jesus. So there is blessing in that and there is goodness in that. And to me, this is God through Gabriel's way of saying from the beginning, I've got some really good news for you. (laughs) This is exciting. Um, I also think that he's laying context here that it's good news. It's the difference of your boss texting you, do you have a minute to talk? Which like all of us just like (laughs) All of our hearts just stopped right. And him saying, do you have a minute to talk about the Christmas party? Right? You're like, okay, okay, like this is going to be good. I can do this. I'm not getting fired today in this moment. Um, so to both of them, uh, they both felt troubled, which doesn't always say it right there for both of them, but they both are described as feeling troubled. And to both, Gabriel says, do not be afraid. So Gabriel gives comfort there and assurance. Um, he sees them. He sees they're worried. He uh, is acknowledging that. To both, Uh, Gabriel says something about how God has sent him to them specifically and purposefully. So to Zechariah, he says, God has heard your prayers. To Mary, he says, God favors you. Um, So to me, this is saying they weren't just in the right place, right time. There was purpose for God sending uh, Gabriel to them and for them being part of this plan. To both, he says, you are having a son and he will be great. John is great because his role is to prepare the way for Jesus, for the Messiah. Jesus is great because he's a son of God. He is the greater of the babies. So both Zachariah and Mary question how it is possible. And their questions um, are really similar. Zachariah says, how can it be because of my age? And Mary says, how can it be because I'm not married? And I think it's interesting that they have a different response from Gabriel Um, Zachariah receives a punishment, right? He's struck silent. Mary, he answers her question. 
So I think it's interesting and helpful to, to remember their context and where they are in their life. Zechariah is a priest. He is older. He has lived a long life reading the Bible. He knows the stories of women who were barren, who were promised a son, and God gave them a son. He's standing in a temple, and uh, he's been begging God for a child his whole life. So this is an answer to his prayer. This is God promising him that I've heard you. But to Mary, she is young. She's not in a temple. She is not a priest. And she did not ask for this. Uh, or expect it. So I think we see um, Gabriel, again, as a messenger of God, extending this grace and gentleness to Mary, um, which says to me that he's not a one-size-fits-all God, that he sees us where we are at and and treats us uniquely for our situation and our um, personality. So even though the responses are different, there is mercy in both, right? With Zechariah, he says, you will still have this baby. You will speak again. And with Mary, he answers her question. So... um, To Mary, Gabriel answers her question of how, but it is still a very overwhelming answer. He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow. That's your... Okay. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and you will be pregnant with the Son of God. So what does Gabriel say next after this incredible and overwhelming announcement. He adds on what I have always read it my whole life as sort of an afterthought or a P.S. He says, and behold, P.S., your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, Dr. Luke, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Why is this pregnant cousin fact dropped into the announcement of the Savior of the world? There's only one human alive on earth at this time who could possibly begin to understand and relate to Mary's situation. When Mary learns that she's miraculously pregnant with the Son of God, she learns at the same moment that she is not alone in this plan. God arranged for another miraculous pregnancy, and it is her cousin who she knows and loves. An answer to her question of how can this be? Nothing is impossible with God. Look, Elizabeth, who was barren, is six months pregnant. So Mary uh, responded to this by saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And Gabriel left. In the very next sentence says, Mary arose and went with haste to go to Elizabeth. I think with haste means a lot, right? So my daughter Piper is seven. She's back there. And, <laughs> and uh, she was our first child, and we had her in a hospital. And by the time we got home, um, we were very overwhelmed, and we were reeling. <laughs> and it wasn't, the delivery wasn't what we expected. Becoming parents for the first time wasn't what we expected. And um, although she was a perfect, wonderful, beautiful baby, uh, we didn't really know what we were doing. So I remember sitting in my dark nursery and having my mom and my uh, sister-in-law and my brother and so many of you in this room enter into our house and into my dark nursery and sit with me and listen to me and talk with me and hold my hand and cry with me and sometimes offer much needed advice. And I just needed that companionship so desperately at that time to hear from people who said, you can do this. I have done this. You've, you've got this. I can listen to you. I can support you. And I believe that in this moment, Mary realized she needed that so desperately too, that companionship. 
So last week, um, Bill mentioned about Mary's um, just emotional place right now, that she was on the precipice of this new life and motherhood and marriage. And although this is a blessing and good news, it was also really crushing to what she was expecting her life to be at this point. It really is crushing some of her dreams and expectations. She's going to have to tell people she's pregnant with the Son of God before she's married. Um, And we know from other stories that not everybody receives that well. So I think Elizabeth's home was a safe harbor for her to escape to while she processed this news and that God provided for this need so specifically and perfectly in her cousin. I think that's beautiful. So Mary travels three to five days to Elizabeth's house. And when Mary steps into Elizabeth's house, like steps over the threshold, the Bible says that in that moment, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and that baby John leaps in her womb The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps in recognition of the baby in Mary's womb, which is wild to think about. And Mary walks in and Elizabeth exclaims with joy. Her first words to this young, anxious, overwhelmed, pregnant teenager are, blessed are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth greets Mary with joy and acceptance before Mary can even tell her what's going on. She already knows. Can you imagine the relief from Mary in that moment? She didn't know what she was going to find when she walked in. We see that Mary reacts by worshiping God. Up until this point, we see Mary have fear and confusion and leaves her home in haste and travels to Elizabeth's house, and now she's praising God. Uh, I'm not going to go through the Magnificat because Bill did such a beautiful job talking about that last week. I recommend that you listen to it. The Magnificat are the words of praise that Mary says in this moment. But the theme of them is praising God for who he is and what he's done for her and the blessing that this is in her life, despite the challenges and despite the situation, that it is a blessing. So this entire interaction and relationship between Elizabeth and Mary is uh, astounding to me. It's the thing that's just caught my imagination year after year. Um, It is clear that these women are not just chess pieces in a practical plan for Jesus' birth, right? They're not just the logistics. This situation shows that God knows them and cares for them and loves them individually. Mary could have delivered Jesus without this friendship. It is just an abundance of grace in their lives. So the end of this section, verse 56, says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then returned home after that. After what? Keeping track of the timeline after Elizabeth's ninth month of pregnancy. So most scholars believe that, um, that I've read, believe that Mary was likely there for uh, the birth of John. So I want to um, read that moment when John is born, knowing Mary is probably there. It's, um, it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. God gave Elizabeth and Zechariah a child who brought restoration to their broken lives. Do you know what John's name means? Anybody? No, John's in here. It means God is gracious. So the birth of John pulled Elizabeth and Zechariah out of shame and hiding and isolation and silence. And we see a picture of Elizabeth holding baby John surrounded by friends and family who are rejoicing with her. Gabriel promised Zechariah that they will have joy and gladness and that many will rejoice at his birth. And we see that fulfilled in this moment. So why 
is Elizabeth's pregnancy and delivery so intertwined with the announcement of Jesus? You see these announcements are similar. Um, you see them both kind of going along these timelines and their trimesters of their pregnancy. Mary was likely even there for John's birth. And the very next chapter of the Bible is Jesus's birth. What God did for Elizabeth and Zachariah by sending baby John, the restoration and hope and joy that his life brought to them is pointing to what God will do for all people by sending Jesus six months later. Jesus is coming to fix what is broken and bring true redemption and restoration to us all. I want to be clear that John is not meant to be the hero of this book or even the hero of Elizabeth and Zachariah's story. Later in the Bible, it says that John came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. The light is Jesus. After John is born, Zachariah, his father, is able to speak again, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit, similar to Elizabeth, and immediately praises God, and he has these beautiful phrases praising God, and at the end of it, this is what he says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. These words are a prophecy about Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the hope to the hopeless, the light in the darkness, the word that breaks the silence. Jesus will seek out the outcasts and forgotten and broken people who have no hope and pull them out of the darkness and despair just as he did Elizabeth and Zachariah into the light of his grace and love. So six months after this story, Jesus is born and his birth is marked by a star, a bright light, a signal pointing to him that he is the hope for all people. So I want to give us just a moment on our own to reflect um, on how Jesus has been hope to you. Um, You don't have to say it out loud. You can just think about it. But how has Jesus pulled you from shame and darkness? How have you experienced his grace in your life? All right. Before communion, I want to end just reading this verse about Jesus. Um, written in the book of John. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we get to be excited about Jesus too. He is good news and hope to us today, just as he was to Mary and to Elizabeth and to John, to Zachariah. So when we um, take communion, which is when we um, take the cracker and we dip it in the wine and the juice, We do it to remember that Jesus came to save us and bring us into relationship and community with him, to be seen and loved, to be forgiven and live without shame. So the wine is a symbol of Jesus's blood and the bread is a symbol of his body that he allowed to be broken and killed so that we could be forgiven. By his life and death and resurrection, he overcame the darkness and brought us into the light. So we eat this and remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us.